welcome to Keith's Catfest, a chapter-by-chapter, page-to-screen analysis of the Harry Potter series. I'm Sarah Day. I'm James. And I'm Meeks. And today, we are analyzing Chapter 13, Nicholas Flamel. This is an hour and 36 minutes and 43 seconds, only to an hour and 38 minutes and 38 seconds. In this chapter, we see students return to classes, and a breakthrough in the Flamel quest resulted from Harry being nice to Neville in the books. Before we start gabbing, just a reminder, if this is your first time listening, we will be using our vast knowledge of the wizarding world to compare the page to the screen, and we may gab about moments that happen later in the films or the books. So you've been warned, Ickle Firsties. But before we begin, a message from the Daily Prophet. It's Quidditch season, and planning for faster, efficient hydration is essential. We don't want anyone falling off their brooms from dehydration. Liquid IV has you covered while you prep during wood speeches, power through the game, and recover in the common room afterwards. Liquid IV hydrates two times faster than water alone with three times the electrolytes of traditional potions. I have tried the grape... The sea berry and the cherry. And I would say sea berry and cherry are my absolute favorite. Mm-hmm. I'll have to try the cherry. I haven't tried that one yet. I was kind of like hoping that was like the best one. So I'm saving it for last. Because <laughs> compared to lemon lime, I was like, I'm not sure if like that would be like a disappointment or something. So I'm hoping it's really good. Because it's the last it one. It is really good. And <laughs> I like how like saturated the flavor is of liquid IV. Mm-hmm. Doesn't feel it's, all watery. It's right. It's very strong. Like the grape one was a really like powerful, like just flavor profile in like a big cup of water. Like I had I think it was like 40 ounce bottle and it didn't feel like diluted or watery at all. It just was like flavor. Bam! Like, whoa. Yes, I agree. And I love a good flavorful water. Yes, I do too. Well, and it's nice if something's really flavor-packed, you know, just as is, because then you can always water it down per your taste rather than you having to, like, use double of the concentrate or something. Exactly. Well, one stick of liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than any other potion and comes in 12 delicious, refreshing flavors to keep your hydration routine exciting. Made with premium ingredients and contains five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C. Liquid IV is non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. Liquid IV believes that Equitable access to clean and abundant water is the foundation of a healthier world and has partnered with leading organizations for innovative solutions to help communities protect both their water and their futures. To date, Liquid IV has donated over 39 million servings in 50 plus countries around the world. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code GABFEST to at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code GABFEST at liquidiv.com. 
welcome back, listeners. James, do you have any feedback for us today? I seem to have feedback every day, so that that's awesome. But it's from Karen in the Facebook group, and she said, I have a little thing in Chapter 6 that's been bugging me. Small detail, but still. When Harry is at King's Cross trying to work out where Platform 9 and 3 quarters is, and he hears the word muggle and sees the owl, and then Mrs. Weasley is heard to ask, Now, that what's that platform number? So surely she would know this important detail. She's got five sons, either sons either been to or currently attending. There you go. Hogwarts, and she would have gone there herself, presumably, so why does she need to check which platform they need to be at? I get she's flustered, probably running late, but come on, Molly, get it together. So uh, I think that's an interesting little tidbit, and uh, I think we had commented uh, on the Facebook post itself uh, that we were kind of just like that was um, a very like interesting little tidbit and there was probably some various reasons but I think it also led into a conversation about how like where everybody else was or did we talk about that in the episode when we talked about it I can't remember well I don't remember if I mentioned it on the podcast or in response but um, I, I think you know as a mother of only two myself mom brain is real <laughs> and um i'm sure that in the rush of getting all of her children to the platform she just had a moment of forgetfulness i always took it as she was she was just saying something that she knew the answer to but like giving the giving a child the opportunity to like prove that they know something you know like she didn't actually forget the platform number but she was giving um, Ginny, the opportunity to be like, I know what it is to, you know, uh, give kids yeah. independence could, yeah. and autonomy oh, or whatever. That. I definitely can see that. That no, that makes that tracks with like her character mm -hmm. and like how she treats her kids. Mm -hmm. Well, Meeks, do you have anything for us today? I do. Um, Cameron on Facebook said, I do not recall how I felt about seeing Mrs. Fig randomly show up on my very first viewing as I probably focused more on enjoying the movie. However, whenever I rewatch the movie, I always wonder who was this character and why did she just randomly show up? I wasn't really confused as to why she was there because I just assumed she was a witch that Dumbledore placed there after Cedric's death and the return of the Dark Lord to watch over Harry. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Because she knew about magic and Dumbledore, plus it's implied she saw the Dementors, but it's not clearly stated that I saw the Dementors. It's possible Dumbledore just told her what to say before she was put on the stand during the hearing. If memory serves correctly, we never see her again in the movies, which never bothered me because I always thought she wasn't that important of a character. So thank you for that feedback. We appreciate people who have watched the movies but not read the books because it gives us, you know, a different perspective that the three of us definitely don't have because we definitely. all have watched or I mean, all have read the book. So we appreciate feedback like this. Um, so that's really interesting. And I guess that's good to know that people who watch the movies just weren't very bothered by it because, you know, like Cameron said, they just sort of assumed they weren't that important. But it is like a bummer that Mrs. Fig was cut out of the films because she actually is an important character. Like that's kind of the point is that she's seemingly right. a side character in the first you know the first books and then it 
she turns out to be very important at the end. So, or, you know, yeah, she has this whole history. Right. Well, we, we as readers know that she's even like a member of the group called the Squibs, uh, which are magical people that don't have magical powers. Right. And that obviously doesn't get explained or shown at all in the movies because that's just a detail that probably wasn't important to anybody. Um, so she she knows about the magical world and she participates in it, but she doesn't do magic, which is why she fits into the mold of Muggle so well, like in the first place. Right, exactly. And Cameron mentions that he thought she was placed there after Cedric's death, but she was really placed there when Harry was placed with the Dursleys as a baby. And like you said, Dumbledore probably placed her there because she would fit in because she's a script in the most normalist of normal streets. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But thanks, Cameron. Mm-hmm. That was really good uh, insight. Yeah, thank you. Yep. Thank you, Cameron, and thank you, Karen. Keep the feedback coming, friends. Mm-hmm. It's fun on all the platforms. We want more. We want to actually <laughs> be able to do feedback episodes where we just do a, an episode, just pure feedback. So uh overwhelm us to the point where we're just like oh it's time let's go in the meantime though uh we'll dive into chapter 13 and i mean folks only about two pages if that of this chapter made it onto the screen Mm -hmm. yeah this is a pretty um a pretty poor adaptation (laughs) (laughs) um i will say though i do love the shot opening up this section of the film of Harry and Hedwig just being at Hogwarts during the wintertime. Yes. It's a really pretty shot. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's about all I like about this portion of the adaptation. <laughs> <laughs> well, <clears throat> I'm going to go ahead and just like input it because the deleted scene happens at the very beginning. I have a deleted Ooh. scene, folks. So love the deleted scenes, especially on a chapter that's this thinned out. Yes, I I am telling you, this is the biggest cut they've made, but it's also like my favorite, and it's like got stuff from the books, but it's also it's also stuff they added in themselves. So like they they added huh. some lines and they made some funny moments to kind of flesh out some of the characters. It's it's awesome, but uh, it starts out with Harry. And Hedwig in the wintertime after the entire Christmas break and Hedwig flies off and it's one continuous shot. It's Hedwig flying off and then it changes from winter into the summer and then he flies into the Great Hall and lands on in the Great Hall in front of Harry. And Harry's like, hey, Hedwig, how's it going? And he's like feeding him and Ron and Hermione are there and Hermione's reading a book and Ron is opening up chocolate frog cards. Uh, the entire time and he's got like a pile of them and Hermione like makes the comment of why are you like wasting your time like you shouldn't you be studying for your finals and he's like I'll remember and she was like oh really what are the three most important ingredients to a forgetfulness potion and he's like I forgot (laughs) and she's like well what are you going to do when it gets on the test and he's like I'll just copy off you and she's like no you won't (sighs) 
and then like mens- mentions that McGonagall, be- she's like, besides, McGonagall said that they're putting an anti-cheating spell on it. And he's like, this is ridiculous. It's like they don't trust us. And it's like this cute little banter between the two of them. And then Neville walks in or hops in. I apologize. Ugh. Neville hops in because he's been leg locked cursed by Malfoy yeah. and everybody in the great hall is laughing at him. And then he's oh. just like, and Ron makes the comment, the classic comment, Hey, Neville, you need to stand up for yourself. <gasps> and he's like, I can't like, I can barely stand as is right now. And Seamus Finnegan stands up and says, I know the counter curse. And Neville's like, that's what I need right now. My bloody kneecaps on fire. And he's just Seamus slams the wand on the on the table and goes, I will have you know that my eyebrows are still in and I haven't blown up like a spell in a while. And he walks away. There's a bald spot on the back of his head. (laughs) (laughs) But um, Ron was like, oh, Dumbledore again with his cards and throws the card next to Harry and Harry picks it up. And as he's reading it, he reads, oh, I found Nicholas Flamel. And he starts reading the card. Ron reads the card and they find the name. And Hermione's like, oh, come on, let's go. And they all run off. And Neville's still standing there. And he's like, what about me? And he falls down. And everybody in the Great Hall still laughs. And then it turns into the classic. Hermione pulls out the giant book and in the library and says, I pulled this out ages ago for a little bit light reading. So it's like a classic transition into her putting that book out. Because they've yeah. already discovered who Nicholas Flamel is. I, I mean, okay, we've all said we get a movie can only be so long, but that's such good content. And, like, that takes, like, cutting that scene takes such a core piece of this chapter out of the adaptation. And, like, it makes Definitely. me even more frustrated to know they filmed this and didn't put it in the film. Well, they put it in the extended version now, but they didn't put it in the original cut. Right. Well, and I mean, I'm watching on HBO and I don't see the extended version on HBO. Or, I mean, Max. Yeah, I wonder where it is right now. It's just, it's crazy to think about that. I loved it because it fleshes out Seamus a little bit more. Neville's character arc has been put into the film. Now we know why he earns the points at the end of the movie. Instead of just Neville randomly earning five points for the entire Hogwarts house. Like, where did that come from? Well, it comes from him standing up to his enemies and his friends and right. all that stuff. It This opens the pathway to it. And so it answers a few questions and does a few things. And not only does it add some stuff from the book into the film, like discovering Nicholas Flamel, which I would have figured was an important plot point enough to have kept that part in instead of just Hermione coming out of nowhere the next day after Christmas and was like I know bam Nicholas Flamel like how'd you figure that out Hermione like that would have been nice to do I don't know well and I get that it's like she was probably reading all of this over Christmas break and so she comes back and she's like I found him but I just hate that they took out this portion of like you said Neville's character arc and development and also harry being kind to neville by giving him a chocolate like ron and harry trying to make him feel better and that's how they discover nicholas flamel meeks do you have any thoughts on that 
Yeah, I mean, I feel I feel the same way that it's like they even filmed it and they're still not keeping it in. Like, like that's just why it's so frustrating because they could have just made exactly. the movie ten minutes longer and it added in all these deleted well, scenes. And that's yeah. what the extended version is. The extended version is like a total of ten minutes. Exactly, of like deleted they could have just, scenes. Yeah, and it would have made such a huge difference if they had just done it's, that. It's not like it was. It's not like it was like thirty or forty minutes. Like I'm sure there's still stuff that they took on the cutting room floor that wasn't completely edited all the way or like completely finished all the way. Um, but these were like filmed enough scenes that to the point where when they were ready to release the special edition, they were like, "Oh, let's just add these scenes in because they like seamlessly fit into the thing." Like, okay why were they cut in the first place like it doesn't yeah. necessarily make sense and when when i dig a little did a little digging i i found some comments from people that worked on the film saying that they cut the film uh they cut those portions of stuff from the film because they it didn't fit into the overall story that they were telling but i feel like that's not completely 100% true because some of the deleted scenes we have seen do so much or were such a small portion that it doesn't seem like 15 seconds would have like mattered that much but it like adds so much to to the thing and so it like i don't necessarily know like the full-on reason why they did it but like it wouldn't have done that much if it was like another 40 minutes of content maybe i could see them not, not wanting to do a full two and a half hours for a film but it was then. only it was only 10 minutes in total it's an hour and 40 it's an hour and 40 minutes total yeah that's just i don't know it just for an extended edition like that doesn't necessarily make sense to me yeah well you know that hopefully we get to see all of this and then some in the show because we'll have a whole extra five or so hours. Four, four to five extra hours. But um, before we move on, unless you guys have any other thoughts on how the trio discovers who Nicholas Flamel is, I have a fun fact about him. Let's hear it. So this is from the unofficial Harry Potter companion. Volume 1, presented by Aloha Mora. Um, so Nicolas Femmel was a real historical figure who lived in France from 1330 to 1428 and was a wealthy businessman and noted philanthropist. The author read about him when she was young, and according to one of Flamel's supposed life stories, when Flamel found a book full of symbols, he interpreted them as instructions for alchemy and devoted himself to producing the Philosopher's Stone. The author even had a dream about Flamel while writing the first Potter novel in which he showed her how to make a stone. Unfortunately, she does not remember the instructions. Mm. That's, well, that's cool. Huh, that's yeah. unique and cute. Yeah. I have a theory that I thought about when I read this chapter. A court to like connected to Nicholas Flamel and Dumbledore's relationship. Because mm. it says Nicholas Flamel is like six hundred years old, right? And that's just mm -hmm. like crazy. But I I'm wondering why I didn't make the connection before, but if they were friends, wouldn't it like 
make a little bit of sense if Nicholas Flamel is like, hey, Dumbledore, like, do you want to live a little bit longer than normal and give him some of the, like, immortality that he partakes of? And that's why Dumbledore is, like, so old. Because I believe he's, like, 130-something in the books. Maybe, but they do say that wizards just naturally live longer than muggles. But I like the idea of Nicholas sharing some of the stone juice with him. I get the wizards live a little bit longer than muggles because there's some pretty old wizards like Bethilda Bagshot and stuff like that that are still yeah. like really ancient. But I feel like I believe somebody made the comment on how like Dumbledore is still kind of like lively and all this stuff for his age and like and how he's kind of still like energetic and stuff how so i feel like it's someone in the books later on makes a comment about it that kind of supports my theory of like he partook of the sorcerer's stone maybe for just a little bit to extend his life just a little bit past its interesting prime. i feel like that could be a whole episode just on that discussion i think there's oh, a lot to yeah. say like would dumbledore even would he accept that i feel like that's not really in his personality to accept i don't know maybe older dumbledore maybe not but younger dumbledore younger dumbledore did quite a few things that older dumbledore kind of looks back on and is like i regret doing some of these things youngledore Young <laughs> <laughs> i did like the scene in the book um or in the film of them finding finally uh Hermione finding him uh finding Flamel in the book <laughs> I just you all know what I'm saying right I just jumbled up all my words <laughs> um like when she's talking about the light reading and um like Ron and her having a little bit of banter obviously the extended scene gives us a lot more of that but um I do think that the little that they put in of Hermione pulling out the gigantic book and stuff. I, I do think that that was cute and well done and is in line with their characters, at least. I agree. I just think the way the film portrayed it took away a lot of character development. And I mean, they completely cut Neville, like James was saying, an entire portion of who he is. Um which t does take away that final moment in the end where he does stand up to the trio. So I definitely think you bring up a good point about Nev like Neville's thing being cut. And I think that's like the biggest reason why this deleted scene feels so like part of the film is because it, it feels like it had so much to offer. And yet when they cut it, 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 we didn't know it took anything away because we kind of just felt like that that was the original movie that's how it was like put together and like how it went and Hermione's just smart and she's just like oh I knew I read it somewhere but like when you add it in and you f you recognize that that was a conscious choice of them cutting it out you it's you're thinking mad. to yourself why like what was the point because it does so much for Neville and it does so much for the plot and it shows that they just found Nicholas Flamel, who they were like asking for in the beginning of the film. Like, who's Nicholas Flamel? Like, Hagrid said Nicholas Flamel. I was like, oh, he wasn't supposed to say that. Like, now we know who he is. And now the audience knows who he is. And, and to just 
have that discovery be taken away just to be replaced by something that now feels a little bit less substantial i guess like i agree the the library scene feels a little bit less substantial now by itself knowing that knowing that this is the scene is there and adds so much to it 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 kind of takes away from the original piece and i like that they kept the line about a bit of light reading and it's just like i think it's like meeks has said in the past where they just choose a line and it's their little checkpoint that they're staying true to the books but they are not at all staying true to the books in this portion even though they kept that line by taking out the way they they are led to her remembering that this is in that book that's just my two cents yeah no obviously i agree i think like okay do you guys want to pat on the back for like throwing <laughs> in a hermione line because yeah it's it is frustrating as always that they've given up character development um when they could have left it in but also sarah day as you've said now they know the whole entire harry potter mm-hmm. storyline and so hopefully they will not do that and then with it being a show where they have more time than what is allotted in a movie hopefully they'll be able to add more things like this in yeah speaking of things that are cut from this chapter mm-hmm. there's an entire quidditch match against Hufflepuff. <laughs> and with snape as the referee i mean that's like a i know thing. I completely forgot that that was a thing. To be honest, when I read it, I was like, "Oh yeah, he did this." Like somebody suggests breaking a leg, pretending to break a leg, and then Ron is like, "Really break your leg?" <laughs> I I think it's definitely very interesting. But this is the this is the portion of the book that was put in the previous chapter that we had already recorded in the Mirror of Erised. Um when Snape is confronting Quirrell and saying like, Hey, you don't want me as an enemy. Like this is the portion of the, like it's happening way after the mirror of the air And so it's interesting how they took that portion and put it in a part of the story that hasn't even really happened yet. Yeah. And doesn't have any like full on weight to how it does in the book. There's so much more of that conversation too. That's cut where, and it's more, in the film, you don't feel like Snape is as bad of a guy as you do in the books. Like the conversation they have in the books makes you makes it seem like Snape is even more of a bad guy. Yes. It's more evidence to Harry that he's the bad guy and he's, you know, convincing Quirrell. But in the movie, you don't he's just questioning him and you don't get why he's questioning him as much. Yeah, it just leaves more, you know, gives more weight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Context. Mm -hmm. It just gives more weight and contents to why Harry thinks Snape is the villain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do agree that Snape, it's like people watching the film, they know that Snape is supposed to be bad. So they know that they're not supposed to like him. But yeah, it's not really founded upon anything. Well, and like I said, it kind of just it's pulled out of context because uh-huh. Harry just runs into them and then just overhears the conversation while he's invisible. Mm-hmm. But he's like, he's not current. Like the whole point of that whole chapter was him to be like connecting as a person to his family and like overcoming the mirror and all that stuff. Whereas 
they're just like, oh, yeah, by the way, Snape's after the stone. <laughs> Whereas, it, you know, it that doesn't happen at all in the book. It's like the Mirror of the Arasite is respected as its own little thing, and it's giving Harry its growth time. And then this is the chapter where Harry is, like, suspicious of Snape. Because by now he knows that Snape's after the stone. He's he's already come to this conclusion. And so when Snape decides to referee the game, all he's thinking about is Snape's going to try something. Snape's going to try something. And he feels like the terrible feeling in his gut the whole time because he's like, how am I going to survive this bout of Quidditch with Snape just literally flying right next to me? And then he finds like Dumbledore's there and is like, oh, he's not going to try anything with Dumbledore there. Like, everything's better. But then, you know, Snape obviously is just like he, he's putting his broom away and he sees Snape running into the, the forest and he, he's taking that. Oh, Snape's up to something. What is he up to? Because he doesn't trust Snape. And then he overhears that the bits of conversation that he's able to overhear at the height that he is. Uh, and he's noticing and he notices that he's trying to get more information about what's protecting the stone. Uh, because he definitely took the conversation out of context. Like, he doesn't necessarily know what's going on. Whereas in the movie, that conversation between Coral and Snape doesn't even correlate to the stone. Snape's just like, you don't want me as my your, your enemy, Coral. Like, yeah, that's a little ambiguous, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I think it's safe to say we all agree that they just slashed this chapter. <laughs> Any final thoughts before we move into the pleasure peeves and salute? Um, I do have my little lightning round of things. Um, I liked. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do really want to see like near the beginning of the chapter. Um, Wood when he tells the Quidditch team when they're practicing that Snape is going to be the referee and George Weasley really did fall off his broom at these words. Um, and then he said Snape's refereeing. He spluttered through a mouthful of mud. I want to see, totally want to see that in the show. Um, I love when they're uh, playing chess in the common room. Ron and Hermione are playing chess after, uh, and Harry heads back up there after practice. And they say chess was the only thing Hermione ever lost at, something Harry and Ron thought was very good for her. <laughs> I think that that's funny and like, <laughs> like, really cute you know like 11 year olds cute but also pretty insightful if you mm -hmm. if you're looking at it from you know adult eyes that there are you know we come across people like that who kind of need to be taken down a peg or are yes. used to not being bad at something or whatever so I feel like it's a really good blend of like you know young thoughts but also mature insightful thoughts especially something like chess Right. That does take a lot of like brain power. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. You would think that she'd be really good at it. And I think that that's what makes it such a thing is that, right? you know, that seems like something she would totally well, excel at. And it it goes to show you, we're, we're going to be able to see this a little bit more as we as we get into the final chapters. But it goes to show you the way, like how Ron contributes to the group. Because you go, you, a lot of people would go, oh, well, like Harry's important to the plot because he's the protagonist, and Hermione's important because she's smart and like she knows all these facts. But then there's Ron, and he's like the third wheel. Like, why is he even there? 
like I've heard people argue like the fact like why is even Ron there and like it's surprising that they don't even get it Ron like Ron has a lot to contribute Ron contributes in so many different ways uh, with so many different things that you kind of get a little upset at the, the that they kind of overlooked that in the film and, and particularly when it comes to chess because that is such a key role for him when we get to the final trials yeah totally and so it's just like he has so much to offer and yet it's getting it gets glossed over in the films that he his contributions aren't as important as those of Hermione or those of Harry because they're not as like well known or something like that but Ron's got a very strategic mind like to be able to see like ahead what somebody's going to do and like what pieces are going to do what like that takes a very very complex mind in chess like I've played chess and I've played it competitive before and it takes a lot of work and effort to be able to go what's this person going to do and then as they're doing it change the way that they're doing it in the middle of the game because they're like oh it's actually going to be this now and oh he made that move i wasn't expecting that or like that's how people lose in three turns is because the guy who was playing them was strategically ahead of the person already and he's like if this person makes this move i'm doing this and this and this and this and then they just readjust on point and ron does that really well and that shows he uses a different part of his brain than like hermione or harry mm-hmm. does because they they obviously can't get that concept just yet uh because it's not something that they're naturally attuned to but it shows ron's abilities and I would love to kind of see those highlighted a little bit more in the TV show because he contributes so much more than just the the buddy buddy and the friend or the the love interest to her comedic relief comedic relief. Yes, thank you. I would like to keep this in mind as we read the books and see what other kind of strategic mind actions Ron exhibits as we go through the series and see if this particular quality shows up again oh i mean we know in this book it does at the end but Mm -hmm. in 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 the other books let's see more subtle ways than just like him having his big Mm -hmm. moment yeah yeah remind us listeners that we (laughs) we mentioned this um i love in the chocolate frog description of nicholas flamel he is called in the book and they don't say this in the film even though i think it's very silly and funny um but he is Nicholas Flamel, the noted alchemist and opera lover. And I love those little details that are added in um, to the books and love the um, when Harry and his, his internal monologue says um, yet he, yet Harry sometimes had the horrible feeling that Snape could read minds. I love that foreshadowing even in the first book i had that thought too and i was like what (laughs) i was like oh my gosh that's awesome well i'm curious about if that's going to show up again like if there's more things like that that i've forgotten in the in the earlier books about snape reading minds because Um, he definitely does he does Mm -hmm. i want to say it happens at some point in the fourth book i think so too i'm sure it does come up but it's one of those like as you know what i feel like every time i read these books you know i there's like something that i didn't catch from before and so 
Oh, definitely. Yeah. All the time. Does he... Do they do the Akamutsu stuff in the movie? The fifth yes. book? Yes. I, I am having such a blank wall. They just do well, a really him. quick cut to it, basically, when um when Harry first finds, or has the dream, well, not the dream, but the vision of uh the snake attacking Arthur, right? Isn't it right then? They, like, qu- they, like all of a sudden have Harry, like, immediately doing the Aquamancy lessons, and no. then there's no, in like... The- I think in the book, yes, but in the movie, the, the occupancy lessons are. No, never mind. You're right. You're right. Sorry, I'm remembering something different. Okay, you're right. Yeah, you're it's right, like right. there's Sorry. no lead I'm up to go rewatch that movie because I can't. Yeah. I cannot vision. They like they yeah, throw no it in there because they know that they're supposed to. To me, that's how it feels. You it feels to, like yeah. they just put it in because well, they know that's the plot point. Well, it's because it's a. It's because they're telling Harry that he can't have his. Like he can't have Voldemort into into his mind because he's gonna put false things in there and trick him. Uh, because that's the whole point of the Order of the Phoenix is that he gets tricked and that's why he's sent over there. Uh, to the minute like that's why he runs over to the Ministry because he thinks Sirius is in danger. Uh, and the whole point of the classes were to learn how prevent to that. prevent <laughs> that from happening. And they had him do it a couple of times. And there's even a couple of like visions where like Harry's remembering some fond memories and Snape's just like, oh, in the film, cute. Yeah, in the in the film, like Alan Rickman and him are just like kind of interchanging each other. And then they're so quick, though. I'm not surprised that. Yeah, I can't. I cannot. They literally throw them in because they know that they're supposed to. And then at the last moment, I think in like a big type of thing as harry has been dealing with umbridge and dealing with all these other things snape tries to go back into his mind a second time after he uh snape had gone into his mind uh watching him kiss cho chang i think it was and harry's just like enough and he like does protego and the spell bounces back at snape and harry gets a glimpse of his father okay and everybody else uh, making fun of him as a kid, and yeah, then Snape's like, "Nope, no more lessons. Get out of my like, get out of my thing." Okay, so it's just—I mean, there's just so much more of that in the book than there is in the film. That it's oh yeah, no, definitely. In the film. It, it, I, I just don't remember. Yeah, it's there, wow. but it's—it doesn't have a prominent hold. But they're doing it because it's necessary. Yeah, it just doesn't last very long because the memories mm-hmm. are older memories that he's had when he was a kid, and Snape—they're yep. well, kind of just adding snape in there and just being like huh, interesting yeah i'm gonna have to go back and watch that film any more lightning points of course um <laughs> <laughs> not not many um uh i think it's really cute how after um neville had the leg locker curse they said the internal monologue again for the trio was they'd gotten the idea from Malfoy using it on Neville and were ready to use it on Snape if he showed any sign of wanting to hurt mm. Harry. I, like, I think it's so cute that a professor, I mean, that's a huge deal if a professor or somebody in that um, position above students is like doing something, is cursing a kid, you know, and they, they know that they can't go to anybody. So they're like, we'll learn this curse so that we can use it against him. Like, just so cute how they're so ready to do that. Um, we, of course, because we don't see the Quidditch match, we don't see Ron and Neville trying to attack, well, not attack, but like defend themselves and also kind of attack Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle. Um, mm-hmm. and they 
totally would want to, not that I like watching fighting, but obviously it's going to be very mild fighting for that, um, for this book. And so I want to see a bunch of 11 year olds punching each other. Yeah. Like, you know, the passion that they all have, like they just get so angry and they, Ron gave Malfoy a black eye, you know, like, I think that, I think that that's again, more character development adds a lot more weight to the, the bitter feelings that they all have towards each other. Poor Um, Neville gets knocked out. (laughs) Yeah. I know. Um, and let me just see if I have anything. Oh, and Peeves was mentioned. Yep, Peeves, Peeves was mentioned. How could we not mention the mention of Peeves? Mm-hmm. And then everything else that I have is in my pleasure, Peeve, and salute. So yeah, I will say right. your your lightning round made me realize that. Um, uh, something that we talked about in the past about how during the first Quidditch match he was like flying over the broom and like how one of our biggest like concerns was like there was a bunch of teachers there and no one was helping Harry. Uh, I'd like to point out that the reason why Snape was refereeing in the first place at all mm-hmm. was I think in uh, in an effort to dissuade the attacker to do the same thing again. Mm-hmm. I believe they put Snape as a referee in that sense because, like, Dumbledore's like, oh, we need to do everything we can to make sure that Harry doesn't get hurt. And that's why Dumbledore's even at the match, too, to kind Mm -hmm. of prevent an attack from happening. So, like, it's interesting how in the first book, like, in the first match, nothing really seems like we're, we're, like, wondering why the heck is this happening. But in the second match, it's like all of these measures were put in to prevent that from happening again. So it's like the teachers kind of learned their lesson yeah a little bit but i thought that was kind of funny yep so um who wants to start with their peeves pleasure i can go first okay my my peeves pleasure i well i mean i kind of have two but i think that they they're kind of related so harry riding his broom for pleasure so even though he was doing that because he was trying to listen in on the conversation between snape and quirrell so like not necessarily for uh you know happy reasons or whatever um just the fact that he had his broom with him so he just took off on his broom gliding silently over the castle like i think it just it's a a little glimpse into because harry for the whole entire series gets so little time and opportunities to just like do even one little thing that he wants to do because he's literally saving all of the wizard world and so he always has such a burden on his shoulders so even when he only has the opportunity for a little moment like this I love seeing it and and it it kind of hits me harder as an adult than it did when I was a kid reading this because um when when we as adults like we get so wrapped up in work or with family stuff or whatever there's so many things to be wrapped up in and so something simple a little pleasure like this goes a long way and so I loved it just felt so delightful to read that again even though it wasn't necessarily just for him to leisurely ride around but I think it meant a lot and then just before that so Harry left the locker room after the match and then um, he'd really done something to be proud of now as he caught the he caught the snitch really fast and then he says in in his head no one could say he was just a famous name anymore and that like that's actually a really, really big line and a really big deal um, 
for, you know, halfway through this first book when he's 11 years old, like that's a, that's a really big thing. And so I, I just loved this part of the chapter um, because I feel like it, it just meant so much to Harry and he doesn't always get that opportunity. Those are really sweet moments from the chapter, but what was your pleasure from the adaptation? I forgot that we're supposed to do it for the adaptation. Um, <laughs> I think there's just not, I mean, there's hardly anything, so it's hard to like, I know. It's hard to like, <laughs> so, think movie, so that's why I, I literally, only, I don't have one. So that's yeah, I, I only found things from the books for these three, but if I have to pick something that I liked, I did like the, um, I already mentioned it. I like the Flamel conversation that they did put in I thought that it was cute and very on point for their characters and like you had said the um the opening snowy scene you know it's beautiful and magical yeah. and like just what I would imagine Hogwarts to look like so there's my short answer for that question <laughs> well my peeves pleasure is I have a little bit more content to work for with than you guys because I watched the deleted scene uh, so my piece pleasure is in the deleted scene because I'm counting that it's part of the movie. It's <laughs> there's no way anybody can tell me otherwise. Um, but my piece pleasure is just their little interaction with each other in the great hall and being like, "Ah, like you're not studying for your thing," or "Oh, like these chocolate frogs," and like there's just like little cute little moments between everybody and. Neville coming in and having the start of his character arc begin and Seamus and his like ability to be like, I'm more than just blowing things up, guys, and still <laughs> making fun of him for that. And just because like he's missing patches of his hair, which is hilarious to me. Um, but I just I don't know. I love that. And I really wish that there was a alternate universe where we got that in the film and it added yeah. so much and and it um everybody was happy that and it's like everybody's happy about it and they take it for granted all the time because it was originally in the film and not cut away from our lives so <laughs> yeah that's it and that's just something i'd like i can't wait to see the show do is just day-to-day -day life at hogwarts and the kids just interacting with each other as students that's definitely what that scene felt like. It was just like a normal little couple of, yeah. couple of seconds, two minutes tops of just them interacting with each other and then being like, oh, plot point, like, cool. And just, yeah. Yeah. I, I did not write down a pleasure because I really was disappointed by the adaptation of this chapter. Just so much good content was cut. Um, it does sound like the deleted scene for the extended edition remedies that a little bit. Um, and I guess for the sake of the podcast, if I have to give a pleasure, then it's what I said at the top of the episode and just really liking that shot of Harry and Hedwig. It was just a really pretty shot. Definitely. I could go, I could go with that. All right, Meeks, what was your peeves peeve? My peeves peeve was when everybody's laughing at Neville when his legs are locked together. Um, just in general, I, I hate that so much. And I've always like, even when I read it for the first time when I was a kid, I hate I don't I really don't like those types of situations where people especially kids are like laughing at a kid because of something. 
Um, and especially when he's like, it's not like he can't control that at all. He was cursed by another student and he probably, as they said in the book, hopped all the way back to Gryffindor Tower from wherever he was with his legs together and then had to like somehow get himself through the portrait hole. And he he was just laughed at by everybody. And I know that the the trio, you know, helped him and like did the counter curse and everything. But like, I just I I don't even like you know, kind of offhand things like, oh, everybody laughed, ha ha ha. But then they helped him. I'm like, I hate, I that would be awful. I would never, never laugh at somebody who was dealing with something like that. So that is yeah. a huge piece of mine. I'm going to interrupt the order and piggyback off of that because my peeves peeve was cutting the scene because it shows the boys, um, Harry and Ron, helping him and making him feel better about the situation by giving him the chocolate frog card. And I just think, you know, we've talked about it throughout the episode that that's just really great character development for all four of these characters. And um, to see that cut, um, I was really pleased about the whole chapter, but this is one of the <laughs> biggest <laughs> issues I had. Um, and so with that said, James, go ahead and give your piece, beef. My peeves peeve is not having the deleted scene in the movie. <laughs> I know that's a little cliche to say, but like, I don't know, like that deleted scene obviously made made an impact on me more than any of the other deleted scenes. And mm-hmm. it made me super excited because when I first discovered there was deleted scenes, I was like, oh, I can't wait to see what else of undiscovered content there is for me to be able to go in and as they were adding these these things in they were like little cute things here and there that i was just like oh that's cool but this was like the first like first full-on fledged scene that i discovered that i was just like whoa there's so much here and as I've loved Harry Potter and I love reading the books and I love watching the movies like I've had I've developed like a connection to the stories that I really like resonate with and to discover that there's more mm-hmm. made me super excited to be like, Oh, I can't believe that there's more because like, I always wondered like if there was, because like I'm a fan of Lord of the Rings and then I only watch the extended versions now because like, I can't go back to the theatrical releases because there's so much yeah. stuff in the extended parts that just, make me excited inside and like all all these other little things and so like to have that in harry potter and just to to start discovering all the new stuff was great and so this was the first scene that i really regretted them cutting because the others i was like oh i could see that i could see their justification for that i could see that i could see that and like there there were reasons behind some of them that made sense to me on why it was in the cutting room room, but this was the first one that did not make sense as to why it was removed because it was, it fit in with the aesthetic. It fit in with the movie. It fit in with (laughs) the characters and like the, like just how, how the students interact with each other. Like I don't understand what, what could possibly they have they could have thought to be like oh we're just gonna remove this entire thing it doesn't make sense yeah like it, it <laughs> just 
there's I, it just boggles my mind. I just can't think of a reason why they would even justify that cut because there there was I, nothing there. So it makes me really upset. I'm just like I almost I, I don't probably want to rant. go watch it because I feel like I'm already so peeved that they cut this out and I haven't even seen the scene, you know, and that they could have put it in there and they didn't put it in there. I'm like I can't I can't do that to myself. I'll be even more upset. Like hearing your excitement about it, it's just like, then why? Why didn't they just put it in there? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. To the, I probably for a long time I'll just keep wondering to myself like why that was even a thing because it just doesn't make any sense. But I would highly suggest going and watching it um, because it's cute. I love the I know, del- like I will. the all all five actors who had lines in that scene <laughs> did a really great job. I love Seamus Finnegan's little like voice. It's so cute. Like I, I don't understand why, why it reminded me so much of my, my son, but it oh. does so much. He's just like, Oh, have you know? And I'm just like, that's, my, that's, that's my son right there. that I'm staring at. Oh. Like, it's hilarious. But he does the same, the cute little, like, high-pitched voice thing right now and it's i don't don't, yeah so i would highly suggest watching it i will i will um would you also say that this is your weasley salute this scene uh i wouldn't say it's my weasley salute because my weasley salute normally comes from the book okay so what's your weasley salute my weasley salute is going to be just the Snape versus Coral like Coral scene. Oh. Um I actually really appreciate like how JK Rowling puts that together and like I said before it, it was taken out of context. It doesn't necessarily make sense where they put it in the movie. But as as a reader and as you're developing like this relationship for the first time, this is one of those key points that solidifies the reader's wholehearted belief that Snape's a villain and it's done very well and mm-hmm. that I will I'll never get to relive that which makes me sad because I already know the truth and I already know who Snape is and how he like I know the whole story now but to go back and like see how JK Rowling like was able to craft it into into this like it makes me yeah. want to be able to show that to others. And I don't want to be able to have people watch a, nothing against the movie and nothing against Alan Rickman. I love them both, but I don't want to show up. I don't want to show the world of Harry Potter to my kids or to anybody that hasn't seen it without having them experience the full heartedness of like the, yeah. uh, of the book or this hopefully if the tv show does it right like maybe they'll show snape actually being the villain and be, like you go oh like he's not and like that plot toast becoming more effective and more like more prominent i yeah, want them like to go us as a viewer also believing he's the villain yes i want i want them to go oh snape's the villain snape's the bad guy plot twist he's not i want people to go oh it was him like I want people to experience that, and if it has to be through the book, I will read the book to my kids for them to be able to have that same experience because it is a once in a lifetime experience, and if you don't get to have it, you're missing out on what made mm-hmm. these books amazing. 
which is why it deserves a salute in of itself. The films are great, and what we do with the films, I will have things I like with the films, and I have things that I don't like with the films. But it doesn't do any justice whatsoever to the brilliance of J.K. Rowling's writing. And, you know, I'm just going to throw this out there. You know, J.K. Rowling is her own person, and she's like, she is what she is, and she believes what she believes. But all that aside, she is an amazing writer. Like, take all of that other stuff out that that is controversial and all that stuff. She knew how to craft a story. Oh yeah, I don't and think she anybody knew how to put it on the page. That. So, you know, personal feelings aside, that just in of itself shows its so shows its beauty, which is why it's such a wonderful story, in my opinion. Beaks, what's your briefly salute? Well, really quick before I say my salute, I did have another minor peeve that I forgot to mention. <laughs> so even though it's part of my um my pleasure to see Harry flying on the broom and getting to do it outside of just Quidditch, you know, I very much dislike the idea that he would land noiselessly in a towering beech tree because I feel like that's very um, unrealistic that he would silently be able to land in a tree. Um, and so I think that, I think that that's like just very convenient that he was able to do that, but it's a little peep of mine. And okay. So my salute is Neville learning how to stand up for himself and the um, trio helping him, which we've already, you know, we've already talked about that. So I don't need to continue going on about it, but that's definitely a salute of mine. Well, yes, and Neville goes. Salute. Neville goes and fights Crab and Goyle too. Like he he does learn how to fight. Yeah, within the same chapter. That's pretty cool. That's my Weasley salute. Yeah, Neville Neville attacking Draco and like uh, getting the bravery to do that. Neville, you just proved yourself a Gryffindor. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Well, any last thoughts before we sign off here? Nope. I think I'm good. Thank you for causing havoc with us today. Next time, we will be discussing Chapter 14, Norbert, the Norwegian Ridgeback. This is an hour and 38 minutes and 39 seconds through an hour and 42 minutes and 35 seconds. James, where can our listeners find you? You can go to James M. Beltran. Uh, on Instagram or TikTok, one of the two doesn't necessarily matter, uh, and just follow me there. You can find me, Meigs, mainly on Instagram at Megan M E G A N underscore Lachowski L A C H O W S K I, and then you can find all of my other projects from there. And you can find me Sarah Day on Instagram at Captain That's M C D E E. And you can find my other activities linked over there. And you can also find Peeves Gapfest on Instagram at Peeves Gapfest. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen and leave a five-star review if you're as mischievous as we are. If you have any feedback, which you know we love feedback, please leave us a voicemail at 409-422-3378. That's 409 Gabfest, 
or you can email us at peevesgabfest at gmail.com. And also join the discussion in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash peevesgabfest. Until next time, go Thirsties!